0: Before today's show officially begins, I have a very important announcement, and that is we've got coffee, we've got coffee, we've got lots and lots of coffee. Yes, all you alcoholics out there, all you neurotic maniacs, we've got coffee through Anarco Coffee, a libertarian coffee company. It's called Morning Roar, named after our long defunct Morning edition of articles we used to write on lions of liberty.com, but now it's just a sweet ass coffee that you can wake yourself up with, be roaring for the day of liberty. You can find it at lionsofliberty.com forward slash coffee. Order some today. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land. Here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Oh boy. Hey guys, it is Brian McWilliams. This is Electric Liberty Land, and this is episode number 126, meaning you can find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL126. I am uh, very, very tired. <laughs> I was just in Las Vegas this past weekend over Memorial Day with Rico, with Mark, and a few of our other buddies. And uh, I know one of our listeners, Patrick Day, was there. We did not uh, get a chance to meet up with him. So, sorry, Patrick. <laughs> too much too much shenaniganism going on there. Shenaniganizing all over the place. But suffice to say, I am... Exhausted. I think I got maybe three to four hours of sleep the entire time, and uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of cavorting. However, to hear the full story of everything that went on this past weekend, and there were uh, there were some interesting stories to be told. You would have to listen to this week's Degenerate Gamblers, which we will be recording on Thursday, and uh, and which, of course, I'll have Rico on. I think Mark might join us as well to recap some of the funnier instances that went down and uh yeah (laughs) it's pretty good stuff so to do that you have to join the lions of liberty pride though guys and you can find that for as little as five dollars a month and get all of our bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty and uh yeah sign it up ah but yeah suffice to say I am very, very tired. This hangover will be probably a a seven-day hangover. That's my honest guess. So, as such, might be uh, a little slower of a show. Probably one of those shows where I make even more mental errors than I'm typically accustomed to. Mispronouncing even more names than you could ever imagine. But, I will tell you this. Interesting thing about going to Vegas... uh, Of all the people that we talked to for an extended amount of time that were strangers, quite a few of them were libertarians. But uh, a guy that was helping us out, driving us around, uh, he was fantastic. Sean, he uh, I believe is going to be a new listener and uh, also met a guy, cat at a bar called The Griffin, which also we want to hear. I didn't even know it was a chain. Kind of looks like you're in a a hobbit hole, but uh, chat with that guy for a while. Rico met a uh, another gal, which that story will have to be, have to be told on degenerate gamblers because of uh, the locale. But, yeah, a lot of libertarians in Nevada. And those of you who have driven from California to Nevada had probably noticed that for a very long time, and I think it might still be there, but I haven't driven in a long time because once you hit a certain age, you just don't want to goddamn drive four and a half hours to Vegas or the eight hours it takes to get back from Vegas... I'm convinced the shitty casinos outside of town, by they're like kind of 40 minutes outside. There's always a traffic jam, always when you get to those terrible casinos. And I swear to God, they buy cars just to have them stall out and crash them in the side, so that people are forced to get out of their cars and go in the casino and eat the buffet. But long story short, there were uh, you know the Ron Paul Revolution sign. Was proudly displayed on a billboard at the side of the road, as well as many, many other Ron Paul signs and uh, and paintings. So, yeah, a lot of libertarians out there. Okay, well, let's get into the show. And you know, you might have noticed from the title of the episode the kind of the yin yang of Trump. And while Donald Trump has very much been losing me as far as my fondness for him, because I did like a lot of what he was doing in his first. Maybe a year. You know, I like the, uh, the the cutting of taxes. I like the lowering of the corporate tax rate. I like the deregulation. But, of course, at the same time, now he's gone down this road with tariffs. He's got the trade war with China going on. He is continuing the military buildup. He's still doing saber rattling with Iran. So, you know, there's a lot of yin and yang going on here. And we're seeing more of that with his latest actions. Because... The Hill had a report coming out, I think actually this was based on a Washington Post finding, but the news, sta- well, at least, I guess new for now, because he's uh, just filling in for Mattis, but the acting Secretary of Defense, Patrick Shanahan, has new restrictions that he's issued in a, a, you know this memo on, telling all the people in the Pentagon, here's how we're going to basically skirt sharing information with Congress should they ask about it. It was uh, setting up May 8th, and... Uh, List different criteria for when defense department officials are allowed to provide congressional offices or committees with information. And now this comes, of course, in the wake of trying to figure out what the hell is going on with Iran, in the wake of the Trump administration refusing to release the drone statistics as uh, Obama's administration used to. This comes in the midst of them not reporting accurately civilian deaths, throughout different active combat zones that we're, that we're taking part in. This comes after we found out that there's some, you know, 45 active missions going on in Africa at the moment. You know, all these things are are adding up quickly. And of course, this also comes in after we find out that the Pentagon has just been stockpiling funding for the past, I don't even know, 10 years and they did an audit and they found out that number one, they couldn't even do the audit because the records that the Pentagon kept were so awful and there was so much chicanery going around, moving money from one place to the other, uh, hiding it in different, different subcategories or meet, reappropriating it to the, all these different departments in order to basically keep it a secret what was going on. So even if you wanted to get a proper accounting of how much money they're spending, you can't possibly do it. So all these things are going on. And in the meantime, now there's a new memo basically telling them, hey, Congress, if you're going to try to come at us, if you're going to try to find out what we're actually up to, we're just going to ignore you. Because we don't view your authority as legitimate. That's really what this this comes in as. Here's the Pentagon's statement. In establishing this policy, Secretary Shanahan seeks to increase transparency and information sharing with Congress. (coughs) Bullshit. (coughs) Bullshit. Under his direction, the Department of Defense has been engaging with the Senate and House Armed Services Committees to develop a process for providing Congress with access to plans and operational orders, including executive orders. The policy establishes such a process. Previously, no policy existed. Basically, what the Pentagon is arguing is that because there was not a policy in place saying exactly what these people could and could not share internally and how they're supposed to do it, that this is an improvement. That is complete and total horseshit. Because when we get into a little bit what, the, what the document's saying, at least according to these different reports, it's telling people that if Congress asked for a plan or they asked for specifics on something, the Pentagon will refuse to do that. And instead give them kind of like a, here's a a general generic overview of what we're thinking. So that they were not going to provide them with actual plans, the actual uh, number of troops, the actual deployments, none of that thing. None of those things, excuse me. Instead, they're going to give them a snapshot of it. So really, if you're somebody on a congressional committee, you still have no idea what's happening. Not only that, but they also are looking to reevaluate who could even get these these requests to, over to the Secretary of Defense or have access to these reports to begin with? Whether or not these requests are "quote unquote" legitimate in the eyes of the Pentagon, and on one level, I can understand where they're coming from because they're saying that their concern is with congressional leaks to the press, where a plan might come out and be used for political gain. You know, uh, let's say, let's say, an Adam Schiff, who I'm going to talk about a little bit later today. Let's say he gets uh, his hands on some plan because he's on a committee and decides that he wants to leak that to the press in order to damage the president or in order to afford a political agenda. Now, of course, we know that the Republicans and Democrats, uh, in the majority (Tulsi Gabbard excluded) and of course Rand Paul, Justin Amash uh, are pretty unanimously in state a, or in favor of the war state. So, <laughs> this seems to be an overblown concern by the Pentagon. But I guess I can I can see what they're saying. However. By putting a policy like this in place, it certainly seems as though they're giving themselves an out by which they can refuse to provide virtually any information. Because if they can say, well, we can't provide the full details of this or we can't, we can't uh, acknowledge or fulfill your request of information because it might be damaging as there might be a leak. And in which case, we'll have secrets getting out and it could be a danger to the military status, uh, to our troops, to our activities abroad, etc. Well, then why would they ever release anything? That is a blanket catch-all to deny access to any sort of information. I mean, that's what they argued anyway when uh, Assange had released all those files and the Intercept released files, even though that was proven to be completely false, the leaked information there. But they'll use that as an example of, oh, well, you see, it could have endangered our troops and any leak from a political source could endanger our troops. No one can be trusted. So... Trump's allowing that to happen. This is his acting secretary that he put in place. So there is one aspect of uh, of what Trump's doing. And at the same time, he is also bypassing Congress and sending more troops and weapons to the Middle East. He says this in the context of countering Iran. I still, as I mentioned in a couple of shows uh, earlier, I don't understand exactly what Iran has been doing that would even raise a, a flag to us as far as a need to send more troops. mean for what reason iraq has already said they don't want to be in the middle of a proxy war which is which is basically what's going to happen if we decide to to go to war with iran and, and send our troops to iraq try to enlist their help in fighting Iran. they're like we don't want a part of this our country's already been ruined we don't need to have another 20 years of armed conflict going over here we're basically just now starting to get back to normal but instead going through Congress instead of saying, okay, well, let's evaluate the plan. Trump has declared a national emergency. Now, how the fuck does a heightened state of tension with Iran constitute a national emergency to the United States? They can't come at us. They can't get to us. None of the, what can they possibly do to damage us? Fuck with the oil supply. The United States already has the largest oil reserves that we've ever had in the history of the country. We've got fracking technology. We are energy independent. Donald Trump said this himself. So what the fuck exactly are they doing? That's a threat to anybody. Nothing. And now we're sending some, I don't even know. I, I don't know the exact numbers on it. I think it's uh, about 10,000 troops. According to Donald Trump, some very talented people are going, but mostly protective people. So anyway, he's also uh, using this as an excuse to send $8 billion in sales to Saudi Arabia without congressional authorization as well. <laughs> again, I don't really understand how Saudi Arabia, I mean, now granted, we're having basically the, the whole Yemen concept and the reason the United States is backing Saudi Arabia and this genocide that they're committing over there is because we are saying that Iran is backing the rebel factions. Now, again, it is hilarious because we do this all the time. And, of course, it always works out where whatever rebel group we, we back, whatever quote-unquote moderate rebel group we back, always ends up becoming some sort of radical force that then turns on us and uses our own weapons against us. But no, we got to sell $8 billion more dollars, dollars of... Uh, God, I cannot talk. My, I'm telling you, this is going to be one of the worst shows ever. It's going to be very exciting to see how bad it is. I'm just going to try not to, uh, to wake up cold sweat in the middle of the night, panicking because this thing is going to come out. Yeah, getting back to it. Uh, You see that Donald Trump is trying to subvert the systems. He's trying to skirt the checks and balances that exist. He's trying to go around Congress however many times he can, which runs counter to what he had said earlier on in his tenure, which was, you know what? I want Congress to make the decisions. I'm going to kick this back to Congress. He was trying to do less. He was trying to let Congress take over more and do what they're supposed to do as the checks and balances. Yet we see that he is perfectly willing now to go completely against the grain and use the Obama method of, I've got a pen and I've got a phone. Now, on the other hand, using an executive order to, let's say, increase transparency within the healthcare system, that's something that I'm in for. I mean, while I hate the concept of Donald Trump using an executive order and I hate the concept of executive orders in general, I have to say that I would like to see, let's say, the cost of a procedure at a hospital proudly presented on a billboard where I can cross-check it with another hospital if I have to go in and get back surgery per se. And I can see exactly the difference in cost. I can see exactly the difference in payment plans. I can see what I'm going to pay now versus later rather than just getting a bill in the mail. Or as what happened when I did have back surgery and I had gone through, I think I had Blue Cross of California. I use UCLA's health system and I was getting bills uh, just piecemeal from fifteen different goddamn departments for what seemed like two years, just aggravating as fuck. So, Trump now is planning an executive order to try to lower healthcare costs by opening up and making transparent the amount of cost it's going to take for different uh, medical procedures, the discount and negotiated rates. For those procedures so we can see what the insurance companies are charging and this is also going to make it so that we can see what the hospitals are tacking on we can see all of the different choices that are going to exist out there so now you actually have instead of saying okay well this is where you're going to go this is your choice you're going to go in you're not going to know what it costs now you can actually shop around i you know mark's had several people on the show in the past doctors that li- literally just list their prices they go around healthcare, around uh, excuse me insurance companies direct patient to doctor relationships. And in that way, you could avoid a lot of these kind of inflated charges that come along with going to a provider that doesn't have these publicly disp- disclosed uh, prices that might be charging you way more than necessary because they're trying to make up on one type of medical procedure to cover the cost of another procedure. Let's say that Medicare demands they can only charge so much for. So instead of charging what the actual procedural rate would be, which might be let's say, to get a surgery done with the anesthesia or whatever it else is, they charge you $50,000. Or they charge your health insurer $50,000. And again, they're trying to make things up in the back end. If you've got transparency, you can see exactly what the cost of that procedure is going to be at a given institution. So if they're going to charge $50,000, nobody's going to go there. And that way, you drive prices down. You have competition. So, this again, you know, we've got the yin of yang, or the, the yin of yang. We've got the yin of Trump on one side, where he's trying everything he can to to protect his own secrets, protect the secrets of the Pentagon, protect the secrets of uh, of his tax returns, which I'm fine with, to be honest. Protect the secrets of what's going on as far as actions he wants to take with Iran in the Middle East. Protect his ability to to wage war. And on the other hand, you've got him using executive act, actions to expose the secrets of a different industry in order to actually make things more competitive, more affordable and more uh, transparent for Americans. And, you know, like I said, I'm opposing basically all executive orders. I don't like them. (laughs) I'm not a fan. And, uh, and even in this instance, I have a lot of reservations because I do very much hesitate to say that a president should have power to force an industry to do this type of thing. I mean, if these are private companies, now, a lot of them are are not necessarily private by the way, but, if these are private companies, well, their policies should be their policies and you should be able to disclose your prices up front uh, should the market demands as such or not. But of course, as we already know, this is a crony capitalist system that exists. We've got special interest groups that have lobbied our government to protect the status quo that exists here, to, re- to refuse to provide any sort of transparency into what is actually going on between the insurance companies and the hospitals. Not only that, but in addition to the insurance companies trying to make sure that they have privacy and these hospital uh, providers making sure that the prices stay hidden behind a curtain like it's a goddamn medical wizard of Oz. You also have them lobbying to make sure that you can't have enough hospitals for all the people to provide enough competition within a certain given region. And these things, if you look into these laws, they're even more insane because you'll have the existing hospitals in any sort of city have to vote to approve the building of a new hospital within that, that region. So essentially, the government and crony capitalism have given them the ability to enforce their own monopoly. I mean, we're talking about the government goes off to all these companies for price fixing and for price gouging and for all, you know, colluding with each other against the consumer. In the meantime, the government goes ahead with the medical cabals here and walks hand in hand with them to provide the exact thing that they say that they're fighting against with any other industry. It is absolute madness. So while I hate executive orders, when it comes down to something like this, I have to look at the end result and say this is empirically a good thing. This is a system that is so irretrievably fucked that I am at the point where whatever is going to combat it, whatever is going to bring it back more towards a free market solution and actually have transparency and have affordability and have competition, I got to be for, even if it's an executive action. Ah, one more thing on this: just talking about uh, Trump and exposing secrets as he's given. Attorney General William Barr, the ability to declassify any of the documents that he would like to from the Mueller investigation into Donald Trump's supposed collusion, which of course was proven to be a giant hoax. Now, my own personal feeling on this is that this is essentially was a coup by the deep state. They're trying to overthrow a duly elected president. They're trying to take him down from the inside and none of them thought anything would happen because they all thought Hillary Clinton would win. Because the people in place at the time Clapper and Comey and Loretta Lynch, they were all Clinton cronies. And essentially, we're trying to game the system, use an existing spying apparatus, which we've had, which we've allowed to be built up since the time of the Cold War and the CIA and the FBI and the NSA and everything else. We allowed these things to be beat up, these, these apparatus which are easily bastardized to spy on Americans. And we've seen the FISA courts had an approval rate of something like 99.8. You know, say, uh, I think it was Judicial Watch had the actual studies, or, or not the uh, the studies, but the case numbers revealed how many requests were there through the FISA courts, how many were actually acknowledged and how many were rejected. And it was something like 1,000 were, were yeses and eight cases were no. Like it was literally, the number they rejected was under 10. So it was basically just rubber stamping through these garbage requests from any security institution that wanted to make them. So I love... That Donald Trump has now made it, given Barr the golden key, said, unlock the box, open Pandora's chest, expose these deep state sons of bitches, expose this coup for what it was. And I am very excited to see just who's going to get tied up in this. I don't know if they're actually going to get taken down. I'd like to see Clapper in jail. I'd like to see Comey in jail. I'd like to see motherfucking Barack Obama in jail. Not only for the war crimes he committed, not only for all the blatant acts violating the Constitution not only for him murdering American citizens without putting them on trial, but also for turning a domestic spying apparatus on a presidential candidate that was a private citizen trying to undermine his campaign for political gain or to aid his party. If that's not a jailable offense, I don't know what is. But it'll be exciting to see. All right. Uh, Let's take a quick break and they'll come back. We're going to wrap it up. This one is going to be a short show. I know I say that every goddamn episode, but this is really going to be a short show because I am just struggle-fest McGillicuddy right here, and uh, I don't need to expose you guys to more of my nuclear radiation hangover than need be on this lovely Wednesday morning. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of the show. Okay, we're back with Electric Liberty Land episode number 126. All the show notes, lions of liberty.com forward slash ELL126. So let's come in. One final note, just talking about this whole exposing of the secrets and lies of the deep state and the failed coup against him. Uh Basically, in the context of William Barr having the ability to open up these reports, to declassify them, you had Representative Adam Schiff, who, of course, is from California, home of some of the dumbest representatives ever to take office. Of course, Maxine Waters is another proud Californian. But you have Adam Schiff coming out and saying, this is really like just, it's the height of irony. It's the height of hypocrisy. And in truth, I'm almost impressed by his being able to say it with a straight face. But Adam Schiff comes out and says this. While Trump stonewalls the public from learning the truth about his obstruction of justice, Trump and Barr conspire to weaponize law enforcement and classified information against their political enemies. The cover-up has entered a new and dangerous phase. This is un-American. Really? This Mr. Mackey-looking motherfucker thinks that exposing... Formerly classified documents about an attempted coup undertaken by the deep state, undertaken by a president before he left office, looking into the life of a private citizen based upon a salacious undocumented or unconfirmed document, which was created by an opposing political party in the run up to the election from a foreign spy using Russian intelligence officials. He thinks declassifying that to let people see what it was that our government did against a private citizen, that is un-American? Wasn't everything before that un-American? Wouldn't just the simple act of a government turning against its own people be the definition of un-American? You are literally attacking Americans. There's, a, there's nothing more un-American than that. Nothing. Even if you put on a Russian hat, Drank vodka all night and then decided that you were some sort of North Korean trans, you know? Like, you identify as North Korean now, goddammit. That is still not as un-American as attacking Americans by virtue of using the government fucking apparatus that has been built up by the state. Okay. I mean, there is nothing more weaponized about law enforcement than what the Democrats and what Barack Obama allowed to happen. In the context of this entire Russia collusion hoax. And the saddest thing at all is that, you know, the people out there, the sheeples out there that have no interest in the truth of the matter, that have no interest other than saying orange man bad are buying this hook, line and sinker. They have retweeted and liked his post. It has 70,000 likes. This goddamn idiot who makes the most ignorant, hypocritical statement I've ever seen in regards to this, 70,000 likes. From the people out there that simply do not care about truth, they do not care about justice, they only care about destroying their political opponents or anybody that they view as rude, anybody that they don't think is on board with the whole progressive agenda, they don't care, means to an end. Even if it completely erodes the freedoms, completely erodes the basis of American society in the meantime. It is absolutely sickening. Okay, let's turn our attention to the other side of the aisle now, because as we know, idiots within our government, idiots within Congress are not limited simply to the progressive side of the aisle. Of course, many of them exist on the Republican side as well. And one of those is Senator Josh Hawley, who is from Montana, who is is really going to bat for the uh, the children of America with a vital piece of legislation. The Protecting Children from Abusive Games Act. Now, when you hear a title like that, of course, with all these things, the Bills themselves always have titles like this, these grand, you know, high-reaching, high, lofty goals names. <laughs> the American Freedom Act, which, of course, completely against American freedoms. So the Protecting Chil- Children from Abusive Games Act is not something that you might say, okay, abusive games, huh? What is this, like some weird porno games? Is this somewhere?" children play them and then they're lured into a Walmart parking lot and finger fucked. No, nothing like that guys. The protecting children from abusive games act is aimed at stopping randomized loot boxes and pay to win mechanics in gaming. Cause you know, well, somebody think of the children. I know if you're not familiar with gaming, I don't know. Some of you out there are big gamers. Some of you are not big gamers. I myself, used to play a lot more games when I actually had something called free time, which does not exist in my life anymore. But basically what happens in a lot of games, whether it's a uh, a game online, you know, like an iPhone game that you might have, let's say Candy Crush, where you can buy extra moves, right? Or, uh, you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine, actually Jason. He is a man who uh, just, uh, as of about a week ago, worked at one of the largest video game companies for mobile games. And he was telling me about this. He goes, yeah, man. He goes, we just make essentially a lot of these games are the exact same game over again. You know, it's like Candy Crush in a different version. And he said, we make a lot of money, but that, that money comes from about 1% of the population. And it's not kids most of the time, by the way. Sometimes you get a kid messing around by accident adding it, and then the parent sees the bill and they go, what the shit, little Jimmy? No dinner for you, go to your bed. As they don't want him to charge up on the credit card and then they disable the account from their phone and, and that's that. What happens is mostly this is adults that go down this path and they kind of get sucked into it. You know, maybe there's home on disability because they tweak their ankle or they have depression. So these things are all dependent on pay-to-win mechanics wherein you can pay to get ahead. So, you know, you're, you're failing at a certain level. You want to buy that power up that's going to put you on, get you to the next level, give you that advantage. Great. That's one aspect. The other ones are randomized so that they say, okay, you can buy this random box of stuff. You don't know what's in it. It's $3 and you get these 12 things and they randomize it. So sometimes the 12 things aren't great. Sometimes they might be incredibly good. In which case you have a secondary market wherein people will get these incredibly rare items and then they'll sell them online for 50 bucks or even more. Sometimes you get crazy amounts, um, you know, for these really popular games out there. But either way, it's a voluntary transaction. You know, it's not like you're being forced to do it. It's not like it's some predatory thing. And it tells you right there. This costs money. It's not hidden away in the darkness. It's not, like, it's not like the goddamn medical industry where you don't know what you're fucking paying. No, it's right there. It says it, one ninety nine, and you get seven things. And maybe one of them is that magic panda that comes in and dances around for you and clears all the goombas off the level. Whatever. So this asshole wants to make it illegal to publish or sell anything that has the definition of being a loot box or some purchasable in-game content. And not only that, they also want to add this so that you could, you know, anything that's like a, let's say it's in a a shooter-up game, you know, a a first-person shooter. I know that, like, for example, I used to play the Quake 2. It was my game back in college. Long time ago now. I was exceptionally good at Quake 2. Didn't have any downloadable content. But now, They have all sorts of skins you can download. You can download new weapons to use. I'm sure Fortnite has a similar dynamic. So not only are they going to outlaw loot boxes, they're also going to outlaw upgrading your inventory or your armor or whatever it is. Anything like that. Now, obviously, as you'd think, this has the implication of destroying massive companies like the company my buddy worked for. Because as you can imagine, if you literally make all of your money off a free game, by using this dynamic of if you want to get ahead, if you want to get better, then purchase this. Again, not forcing you to, not hiding it, just offering it. Then you essentially destroy their company. So you're going to wipe out, by virtue of this bill, overnight, a billion-dollar-plus industry. I mean, said billion. Billions of dollars of industry. And not only that, you're going to cost how many people their jobs? My buddy's company employs something like 500 people. So they're now all out of a job because this shithead wants to protect kids from buying $2 items in Candy Crush? Stop the presses, everybody. We got to make sure that we keep up with Belgium and the Netherlands who stopped uh, publishers from selling games like that in those countries. But again, their market there is a minuscule, tiny share. I mean, those kids between skinning moose and elk carcasses, they don't have a little bit of time to play, say, a, you know, a panda, panda Graham the Kaler. I don't know what the fuck i And in a statement, Stanley Pierre Lewis of the Entertainment Software Association echoes my statements. He says the legislation is flawed and riddled with inaccuracies does not reflect how video games work or how our industry strives to deliver innovative and compelling entertainment experience to our audits. The impact of this bill would be far reaching and ultimately prove harmful to the player experience, not to mention the more than 22 or excuse me, 220,000 Americans employed by the video game industry. We encourage the sponsors to work with us, to raise awareness, awareness about the tools and information in place that keep the control of video game play and in-game spending in parents' hands rather than the government's. Now, his credit there, I didn't even say this yet, but he makes a good point. It's not like something you can't turn off in the games as well. You know, in any of these games, you can turn off a lot of the options. You could turn off the ability to purchase content in-game. Uh, additionally, if you're a parent that doesn't have a some sort of lock feature on your child's phone or their iPad to keep them from purchasing things, you're just a fucking idiot, so you deserve what you get. But, I mean, look, you're literally talking about destroying an industry. You're talking about completely altering an existing dynamic in how players interact with games and now how basically people expect to play the games. And especially in the era of competitive gaming, where maybe people are coming up, you know, goddamn, I wish I had uh, the competitive gaming leagues back when I was just beating the shit out of people on the, uh, you know, my first LAN network back at Penn State. But if you're a player, if you're a competitive gamer now, you might depend on Finding these loot boxes or paying for these loot boxes to get ahead and keep your competitive advantage versus other players—you might, you might literally be like ruining people's chances at success. It'd be like if somebody's really good at baseball and you're like, ah, you know, man, you're not allowed to use that mitt. I just want you to take this cardboard box, tape it to your hand, and now get out there and play. You know, it's just—it's idiotic, it's misguided, and wholly unnecessary. Holy. Fucking unnecessary, especially in the light of everything else that's going on in America that needs to be addressed at the moment. Okay, one more story to wrap it up. A little schadenfreude, guys, to uh, to wrap up your day here. And this comes on Memorial Day. The army tweeted out, how has serving impacted you? And the answers were predictably horrifying, including thousands of tweets about the horrors of war. And of course, because America is in a constant state of combat, because whether or not these, these wars, which we are undertaking are congressionally mandated or not, spoiler alert, none of them are. We are still going out, you know, like I said earlier in the uh, podcast, we have theaters of war open, whether they are overt or covert, we are taking part in activities and actions all over the globe at all times. And, you know, a lot of these people, They just have these these hideous stories from the last 40 years of ongoing war. I'll read you some of the responses. This is from a a Reason article. They did a good job of collecting some of them. This guy at the Whitney Brown. When I was 18 in 1970, I tried to join the Air Force because both my uncles were USAF. I took some tests. They wanted me. But on the way home, I got stopped and busted for two joints. While in jail, an army vet just back from Vietnam came in and hung himself in the bunk below me. So there's one from back in the day. How about this one? From at Noble Darren. My cousin Wes has always been a little slow. He went to the army as a mechanic. His fellow soldiers always made fun of him. He shot himself and lived while on deployment in Iraq. The army investigated and proved Wes should have never been accepted, must less sent into a war zone. So I guess he shot himself in the head and then still lived to continue to be not smart. Uh, How about this one? My grandparents were used as pawns serving the U.S. Army and aiding them on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. They served in the secret war and when the U.S. lost the Vietnam War, the Hmong were left to die in genocide. To this day, Hmong veterans are not recognized by the U.S. Army. So it goes on and on and on. Like I said, there's thousands of these, stories of suicide, stories of trauma, stories of families being left for dead, stories of of, uh, genocidal actions. That ties into what Tulsi Gabbard had said at the event that Mark and I were at. Because not many politicians, number one, are openly anti-war, but also we'll talk about what you see as the fallout from America going over and interfering with these countries. The number of displaced families, the number of children that are mutilated, the number of families that are ripped apart. And that is what creates hatred. That's what creates these terrorists. These people's lives are destroyed. So we've got on one hand thousands of veterans coming home from these ongoing wars. That are mentally unstable, that are physically unstable, that have been damaged beyond repair in cases, that are addicted to drugs, that can't get the treatment they need, that are suicidal. And On the other hand, you've got countries where you've got just families, like multi-generational families affected by the United States coming in and destroying their way of life in order to, quote-unquote, protect democracy or, quote-unquote, protect our interests. So... I don't know. Whoever's heading up the uh, public relations campaign, the social media campaign for the U.S. Army, not putting a lot of thought into the questions you're asking. But you know what? I could not be more grateful for a public blunder of this nature. How many times can you see an organization like this get roasted publicly with true life stories about the effects of its actions to open people's eyes up to the nature of an ongoing state of war? I just I'm over the moon, guys. Let's wrap it on that. I can't uh, get my brain of squoze, all the squoze juice out of this goddamn lump of gray shit in my head. And I got no more for you today. Okay. That's it. (laughs) So I apologize to my new libertarian friends. If this is your first episode uh, that you're listening to the show that I met in Vegas, Uh, I promise don't judge me on today's show. As you guys know, It's our worst selves in Vegas that we present to the youth youth that live in the city. And uh, unfortunately, I've taken some of that worst self back home with me today. But I promise you guys, next week's show is going to be dynamite. I'm going to have a uh, wonderful Libertarians in Living Rooms drinking liquor episode. I'm going to have guests on, including Lance Psycho. You might have... uh, I think I'm saying his last name, but I'm pretty sure it's pronounced psycho. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lance, Lance Psycho, he was uh, involved with the decriminalization of psilocybin and uh, and mushrooms over in Denver, as well as a big push to protect Second Amendment rights and make that a sanctuary for those of you who enjoy your guns. And I'm also going to have on uh, Mike Brancatelli. You guys are probably familiar with uh, with Mike. He used to be on, Dave's Just Part of the Problem. He's been on our show before, uh, another Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor show. So I wanted to bring him back on. Of course, he is uh host of the podcast, Mike Adelic, where he does a lot of... Uh Talking, experimenting, and research into the world of drugs. So what better guy to have back on to chat about all the things going on in Denver, as well as some other issues of the day. So that'll be next week's uh, Electric Liberty Land, guys. Make sure to miss it. In the meantime, make sure you also listen to Mark's show on Monday. Of course, that is our flagship program, and Mark has just passed 400 episodes. Pretty impressive. And John Odie, Oderman on Fridays with Felony Friday, one of our uh, most important shows. And I really encourage you to check that out if you haven't. Just uh, fascinating and heartbreaking stories about abuses in the criminal justice system from those who have lived through it, who are trying to help with it, etc. All right, guys. I uh, thank you for listening. I apologize for the state of my mental capacity, and ability to convey thoughts, feelings, and information. But, uh, you know, it is what it be, (laughs) and that's what it do. All right, from me, Brian McWilliams, from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into liberty.